When people start talking to Scarborough, my lips start to like form apple lips. She's like, yo, you know where I'm from, fam? Like, yo, Scarborough. And she's like, Norm, I really like you. I think I want, I think I want to date you. Like, I want to be, I want you to be my man. And I was like, you've never even seen me. She's like, no, I just love your vibe. I don't even care what you look like. And in my head, I'm like, I care what you look like. One thing I always used to ask was, Yo, where the f*** are the Asians in the Bible, man? All right, welcome back to another episode of The Burl Sound, recording here live at the UUIN Collective. I'm your host with the most, DJ Czar. And today, got a big guest, someone who we've been following for a bit, one of the best comedians in Toronto, Big Norm Alkinsell himself. What it do, people? What up, Scarborough what up, and the house. Bro. That's why I always say, you know, when, when, when people start talking Scarborough, my lips start to like form asshole lips. Just like, yo, you know where I'm from, fam? Like, yo, Scarborough. But don't you find that like when you encounter someone on a day to day basis and you find out they're from Scarborough and they find out you're from Scarborough, it's like an instant connection. You start talking about intersections. You start talking about like, what you know, high school did you go to? You trying to find mutuals? Like, right. High school, where you used to eat at. You know, Scarborough Town Center memories. Mm-hmm. There's just a whole bunch of different nostalgic things. Like, I don't know if you guys used to go to, remember La Spot? No. La Spot. It was a billiards. It was a pool hall mm-hmm. down by like Brimley and I believe it's Shepherd, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Brimley and Shepherd. And in between Brimley and McCowan there. But, bro, man. There was nothing much to do in the 90s and early 2000s. So people would just go play pool and shit in, in, in Scarborough. And La Spot was the spot. I remember I met this. I met, I'm dating myself for sure. You remember, you guys came up around the pager era where people had pagers? No. Okay. Damn, so, I feel super You know young. what I'm saying? So I'm what like, this? pagers? Pagers. <laughs> so in high school, I got a pager in grade nine. And I remember, because my aunt was a real estate agent. And she had the link on pagers. And if you guys don't know what the use of pagers were for, it was, you know, if you need to be contacted and you're not close to a phone, they'll page you their phone number to call them back at a, on a pay phone or whenever you get to a phone. It's like, mm. you know, call this number back. And there was this thing called alphanumerics mm-hmm. where, like, they would spell messages out with numbers. So, like, uh, eight would be either a B or an A, you know, zeros would be O's, sevens would be L's. If you put one, seven, seven, it kind of creates an M. Mm-hmm. So one, seven, seven is an M. One, seven is an N. So like, you know, when you, people would spell boobies on a calculator back yeah, in the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. is that shit, right? So you'd type that shit on a pager so when you want to page somebody, you send a message via alphanumerics or just your phone number, you'd call back, boom. But what I used to do was they would have these answering greetings, like these pager greetings, sort of like an answering machine greeting. You know, they'd be, they'd be, like autom- automatic messages, like preset messages almost? Some would be preset, like you have reached a, leave a message, you know, whatever, leave a message. That, yeah. Or people would like... Hold, you know, when people would hold their phone to a speaker, play a song, record the song, whatever. Like, yeah, you reach so and so, leave me a number, boom, play the music. Mm-hmm. So I was a young R and B singer get kid, right? Mm-hmm. 
And girl, my the way I used to chop girls back in the day was I would sing on pager greetings. So I'd be like, yeah, press star to skip this greeting and start singing some R&B shit like Usher, Drew Hill, Cisco, whatever. I'd be singing my ass off. And I'd sometimes like customize it to the girl's name. Like you reached Charlene's phone and all this blah, 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 rah, rah, rah. And girls would just call me left to right. Kate, can you sing on my pager greeting? And I'm just like, I just don't sing to anybody. You got to get to know me first. And the- Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So all that to say, I met this one girl and we started talking for like three, four months. And, you know, it just started from the pager greeting, but like we just started getting close. We never seen each other ever. No internet, no nothing. No, like there's maybe Asian Avenue and Black Planet and Mijente back in those days. But like, I never seen her in my life. But she's like, Norm, I really like you. I think I want. I think I want to date you. I, I want to be. I want you to be my man. And I was like, You've never even seen me. She's like, No, I just love your vibe. I don't even care what you look like. And in my head, I'm like, I care what you look like. Um, but you know what? We 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 gonna try something. Let's just do it. So, all right, we're going steady. So she's like, Meet me at the spot. <laughs> Full circle. So I'm like, La spot. I'll see you there. I get there. And there's these long stairs that go upstairs. And I'm just standing at the bottom. And whatever I see her coming down the stairs, I'm like, is that her? Please be her. Because she was bad. I was like, ooh, who's this? She comes down. She's like, Norm? I'm like, or at the time, my name was Shaolin. <laughs> what? She's like, Shaolin? I was like, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> What's up, yum yum? Anyway, yum yum. Hold up, yum yum. It's like, oh shit, yeah, you bad. And yeah, that's my little spot story. That, that, it just came into my mind because we're talking Scarborough spots, the spot. Shout out to Scarborough spots, by the way. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Yo, so the Riz on the pager <laughs> is crazy. I want to keep talking, bro. You sending numbers and stuff. So you're dealing with this girl. Are you, and you guys are speaking on the phone. Like, that's like how you guys are getting to know each other. Like, yeah. you got the number. No texting, no DMing, no sitting, figuring out what to type to press send. No, just all talk. Just like, you got a spit game mm-hmm. front to back as a teenager trying to figure out how to like charm and how to just be a good conversationalist. So are you sending her those like uh, the numbered word messages on your page or like throughout the day? Yeah, you'd be like one, four, three. It's just <laughs> I love you, you know. Oh, the Filipino shit was five, four because that spells mahal kita, which oh. means I love you. So you'd say five, four, one, four, three, you know. Um, you know, I feel like <laughs> if you want, <laughs> yo. <laughs> If you want to, you know, get real cryptic, like I know people that would create their own. It's almost like when people create like a, a WTF, a what the fuck, yeah. or a LMFAO. Like acronyms. Acronyms, yeah. right? They would do that with numbers. Like, so I don't know. Let's come up with one like Wagwan. All right. Mm. Let's say they have two words. It would be like three for the W-A-H and Guan would be four, G-W-A-N. So that would be like three, four. Oh, okay. But would you have but, to discuss you with them kn- prior? Yeah, you wouldn't know unless you and that person like have that. 
You know? So what? So if you're on the phone, you're going to be like, yo, when if I paid you three, four, it means this. Like, yeah, is yeah. That, oh my, yo, that is, we have it too easy, bro. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. There was, there was a lot of different things that people did to get clever with the pagers. Because also like pagers also were for, for dealers and anybody that was jugging, you know what I mean? Mm. So you, you obviously had to get cryptic with like the shit you're sending, the messages you're sending. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, pager riz was a thing, bro. <laughs> pager riz. Um, yo, there used to be this, this, I forgot, I think it was like 410 word. You'd call 416, 410 word. And there was this like answering service where it'd be like, press one to leave an R&B song message for our listeners. Press two to hear the current singing. Blah, blah, blah. And people would like sing and leave messages. And then like you can call in and just like press each number and then listen to the person singing and then people would like rate. This is all things that happen like online. It's just all happening over the phone over like some answering service. It was really interesting at that. It was a weird, real interesting time now that I think back on it. I feel like it'd be such a good time to grow up in compared to, cause at least now like you, you had that experience. Then you have the new experience that yeah. we all came up on, but then you also have the old stuff. That's probably like super nostalgic and like, like it seemed normal to you guys at the time, but for us hearing it, I'm like, yo, you're, you're just sending like two numbers and like, she knows what it means. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like when you send, <laughs> when you send four, four, <laughs> what's that mean? Let's fuck. Oh! <laughs> what would the response like okay so say you send the four, 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 four baby. and then what do they say like what would be yes and what would be no like in the number like uh hmm yes i guess yes would be four three five because four is it, a y yeah. three is a e five is an s yeah no would be one seven zero because one seven is an n and a zero would be Zero, oh, you know, maybe the legacy of that because when I started early on MSN, people would combine numbers and letters to spell words, like they would replace like E with three. Yeah, so maybe that was the legacy of pager is. Yeah, yeah, those are the leftover remnants of of, of pager numerics. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah, man. I feel like we should bring it back. Like, I feel like a girl would appreciate like the, the cryptic mysterious nature of you just being like, you know, four, four, like, <laughs> you know, like sometimes less is more, bro. Like now we're talking, we're like, Hey, like, what are you doing later? It's just like three, two, like, it's nah, like they're going to start using that shit for bad, man. That's their way of like sneaking around, you know, their shorties and just be like, no, what are you, we're just texting numbers, big. Like, <laughs> Why do you text this girl four, four? What does that even mean? Like you're 44. What do you, it's a number. This is, that's, that's, that's the uh, lottery numbers. Lottery numbers, babe. Uh. <laughs> Yo, so you grew up in Scarborough. Yeah. Markham Neglinton. Mm -hmm. And then you went to R.H. King. That's right. So you're talking late 90s, early 2000s, right? Yeah. So what was R.H. King like during the late 90s, early 2000s? When I went to R.H. King at the time, I remember when my sister went there, people were lining up to try and get into that school. Something about it being an academy, Orange King Academy. It was still just a public school, but it had a name. It had academy in the name, mm -hmm. and it was one of. I think it was the only at the time the only public school high school with a uniform. Hmm. Yeah. Normally, so, that's just a Catholic school thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think some other schools followed suit years after, but we were the first. Um, and part of me doing 
wanting to go there because like I don't want to have to like, keep up with with drip. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, mm. no, I don't want to buy clothes and have to keep up with clothes over a whole school year. Mm. I just wear a uniform, mm. you know? Mm. It's so easy. And then when they have the the civvies days or like the non-uniform days, that you stunt, you know? I remember mm. one one day I came to school with like red suede hush puppies, these ter- torn up jeans and a Le Chateau shiny shirt with some dra- silver and red dragons on it, trying to be like the Filipino Cisco. Bro, I was up in school like, ooh, I felt drippy, man. And like you got you got to stunt on the non-uniform days mm. because, you know, you had all like two, three months to prepare. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. While everybody's trying to keep up on a daily basis. People get made fun of for wearing the same clothes all the time. I can't imagine how it is now. Yo, just kids getting made fun of. Like, I didn't have the understanding of all the sneaker game that kids have nowadays. My, mm-hmm. my nephew's eight and he could tell me like, oh, I got, he's got these new Jordan 1 Miles Morales Enter the Spider-Verse edition. Rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, how much are these worth? You know, mm-hmm. my, my sis signed up for one of those um, raffles, got it, paid an arm and a leg for it. I looked online, like the day they dropped, like doubled. And I'm just like, and now you're just rocking them running around in school, just mm-hmm. scuffing them up. I'm like, ah, but yeah. And, and he knows his shit, man. So what were the demographics? What were the demographics like at RH King at the time? Cause for, like coming from a Catholic school background, like I always felt like, you know, most of the Filipinos ended up in the Catholic schools. Yeah, I know you sure. didn't grow up Catholic, but at RH King, like, was it like very mixed? Was it like predominantly one group of peoples like during your time there? I was one of maybe like seven Filipinos in the school. Cause all the Filipinos went to Carnival yeah, yeah. down the street. Right. So <laughs> I just remember it was myself, my sister, my three cousins and then like three or four other Filipinos. And, uh, it was just, you know, some, some West Indians and Africans peppered throughout a bunch of Indians and Tamils and then majority white. Hmm. Yeah. Majority white. Hmm. And when I say white, like <laughs> this was the time when the term genos were a thing. Oh, like Italian, like there, there were mad genos. You know, every school has their section. Like, oh, this is this hallway is where all the genos hang out. This is where all the Tamils hung out. This is where all the uh, Asians hung out. This is where the mixed kids were. Like all the kids that just didn't care. You know, it was just a bag of mixed nuts. Pause. Right, <laughs> and then the smokers corner kids that would just sit and smoke. You know, it was. It wasn't uh, like certain schools, like let's say a Pope John Paul was like mad Filipinos, mad black people, um, mad Indians and West Indians, and then peppered some white people in there. Mm-hmm. Like but my school had their fair share of white people because, you know, it was right by the bluffs, mm-hmm. right by the water. So I had a lot of white people, white friends. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember one of my friends like, had a bowling alley in his basement, just living by the bluffs. A bowling alley? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a huge flex. <laughs> That's a huge flex, bro. <laughs> I remember anyone who had like a basketball net, I felt like they were up because I, I, like I grew up in like an apartment. Yeah. So I'd be like, yo, you have a basketball net? I can't even imagine. If I had a bowling alley, like I'm sure people were going there all the time. Right, right. Was Big Boy still there? The, the you know, Big Boy's Burgers? 
It was before Big Boy was there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it was when Big Boy was just like, oh man, what was it? <laughs> Big Boy wasn't even a restaurant. It was just like this flower store. Okay. Was Double Double there? Double Double's been there, bro. Okay. Double Double's been there. Yo, shout out to Super Choi. Super Choi is there. Yeah, Super Choi is nice. Super Choi 214. Yo, this girl, she wouldn't even... Like that, that's when, yo, lunches were $2.14. I'm buying three chicken wings on rice with, with honey garlic sauces dripped over the rice and hot sauce. For $2.14. Let me get a combo E, miss. Okay, 214, 214. Just give him two, not $2.14. She wanted 214. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you give her the 214, <laughs> shop for the 215, be like, keep the change, miss. Jeez. <laughs> keep the penny. This is when <laughs> pennies were still a thing. Yeah, this is when pennies were still existed. <laughs> so you would actually like have pennies yeah. on you. That's yeah. crazy, bro. Super Choi, Wild Wings weren't there yet. It was that was a coffee time. How about that that spa? The spa wasn't there. Okay. The spa came after. Even that West Indian spot, that wasn't there. That used oh, Shizzle to be, Dizzle it used to be Shizzle Dizzle and then they changed it. Yeah, it was number one jerk for a while. Yeah, there was Pizza Pizza wasn't now Pizza Pizza's a taco spot. Yeah, it's a good Gus, spot. Gus, Gus Ta- Taco. Shout out Gus Tacos. Bro. At first, I didn't fuck with Gus Tacos because I'm like, Gus, I don't want no white boy tacos. And then I found out Gus was short for Gustavo. And I was like, oh, if it's Gustavo, for sure. Yo, hook me up with them tacos. Gustavo, you should have told me from Chump. <laughs> they have great quesadillas at that spot, bro. It's, it's nah, nice. They're yeah. official. The closest thing to an LA taco. Hmm. that I could think of because mm-hmm. I have family in LA and San Diego and I spent a lot of time there mm-hmm. and yo, you know they got such a crazy Mexican population that Mexican food is everywhere mm-hmm. all the Mexican food trucks have you ever had a molitas in your life? no what's that? a molitas Ooh, it's like a thicker tortilla it's like yeah it's so like a thicker wider tortilla and They'll throw cheese right on the flat top grill and then throw the, I guess, whatever the molita tortilla is on mm-hmm. top of it, melt the cheese, and then flip it on its back, kind of crisp up that thicker tortilla, mm-hmm. two of them, and then throw whatever meat's in the middle with the cilantro, the onion, and mm-hmm. and then smack the other top. So it's like more of a crispy, smaller quesadilla almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I what would I con- compare it to? It's like a a cheesy Mexican doubles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Dog, it's so good, man. It's molitos, you know, mol- molitas, molitas. Okay, okay. And, and I gotta say, I can't even say molitas. No, I have, when I say it, I gotta say molitas, because <laughs> you know I'm one of those guys where you know when I say the country you're from, I'm gonna say it the way they say it. I like that though. You know? I like that. Yeah. Like, oh, you said you're from Ecuador. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. an amazing country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, oh, Nicaragua, wicked, wicked. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So how? What's the proper way to pronounce the Philippines? I mean, Philippines is fine, but Filipinos would be like Philippines. They wouldn't even pronounce the F. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always like, there's a common joke about how like Spanish really f- fucked us when they colonized us because they named the country after King Philip. Mm-hmm. And Filipinos can't even pronounce the letter F. Mm-hmm. 
but it's spelled with the PH. Yeah. So it's so confusing. Like, I thought it's a P, but it's a PH that makes the F, but we can't even make the sound of an F, so it's still a P, you know? Mm. So Philippines is how we would say it. Prior to Spanish conquest of the Philippines, like, was it just like a scattered like bunch of like groups within the islands or was there like a, a, a name that you guys would call that piece of land? Yeah, I forgot what the name was, but Filipinos... Yeah, when they had their, I don't want to say they had their independence, but because for for, I don't know, don't don't quote me on this. You guys can fact check me at any point in time. All right, but I do know that before we were Catholic, we were Muslim and Hindu. Oh, okay. Um, so we had a lot of Malaysian influence. Hmm. Um, there was some Indian influence. Uh. And yeah, we, we were colonized by the Spaniards, the Americans, the Malaysians, I believe the Chinese. I know the Japanese tried to invade us for a while. So we've been getting bullied for a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but to your question, um, yeah, before, before the Spaniards come, came, we had our own identity for sure. Mm-hmm. Like all of us have Spanish last names, right? Yeah. Like minus Alconcel. Uh, I think that's more Portuguese though, actually. Hmm. Um, and all my cousins, I got Perez, Lopez, Mayo, Rojas, mm-hmm. Rodas. Like it's all colonized Spanish last names. But hmm. yeah, I don't think, I don't know anybody that has a pre-Spanish colonial name. Hmm. I can't really think of that many. I know there are still Muslims in the Philippines. It's like a minority, but I find that crazy because you guys use so much pork. <laughs> like, I'm like, yo, but... how are y'all Muslim? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys, and your pork is good. Filipinos <laughs> love their pork. Um, it's funny, the, uh, the Muslim terrorist group, I forget what it stood, like what, what the name was, but all I know is the acronym spells MILF. So it's like the Muslim Islamic uh, Liberation Force or something, <laughs> or MILF or something like that. <laughs> um, oh, man. But yeah, there, there's there's a lot of Muslims in the Philippines, uh, most mostly Catholic. We love our pork, pork adobo, lechon, lumpia Shanghai. Oh, and I grew up not eating pork. You know, Seventh Day Adventists, we don't eat pork. Oh, you guys don't eat pork? Yeah. So you guys like you guys follow like the Old Testament kind of? Well, yeah, we kind of follow Old Testament, New Testament. We they study it like it's a science. Mm-hmm. You know, even that some people will say, Oh, you know, the New Testament, you know, did away with all the things from the Old Testament. Yeah, like Sabbath so like yeah. especially, yeah. So sap for Seventh day Adventists, we 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 really obeyed the Sabbath day, Friday sunset, the Saturday sunset. So it was almost like Judaism and Christianity in one. Yeah, it's like double the rules almost. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't go out on Friday nights. Like I'd always get in trouble when I was at STC in the rec room with all the B-boys and B-girls on the Friday nights. Mm. I'd come home at 9, 10 p.m. My mom would be pissed at me. She's like, well, it's Sabbath day. You're going to come home this late, Norman. I'm just like, ah, oh, mom, but I, I'm just trying to get down. I'm trying to learn my six step. I'm trying to figure out how to windmill, mom. Come on, man. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I was going to ask you about uh, Seventh-day Adventism because I'm into Christianity. Like, I grew up 
Catholic. And then I, I did like my own research and, you know, uh, now I guess I consider myself non-denominational because like I tried and I'm like, Oh, not this church, not this church, but I still believe in it. But a lot of times, like I would go to like, I guess churches and they would kind of classify seventh day Adventism as almost like a cult. Like they felt like it was like an extreme thing. Was there like cultish elements to it? I will say there were moments when we would be reading text in the in, in the sanctuary and somebody on the stage would read the light text and then everybody in the congregation would read the bold text. Hmm. And everybody's reading mad monotone. So I'd be sitting there just saying, like, yo, this is so weird. Because I was like, and the Lord is thy shepherd that I shall not want. And they're all like reading this in unison in that monotone robotic sounding tone. And it just sounds very cultish. It sounds like, yo, they almost sound like they're brainwashed. Like, we will drink the punch, give us the Kool-Aid. And, you know, I don't want to shit on it because I know good people from the church that, like, live a good life. They, they, they they've lived the great path and they, they don't cause any trouble. They're good members of society, my mother included, like just good, honest Seventh-day Adventist women. So I'll never shit on, on, you know, their beliefs. But uh, there are moments when it did feel cultish. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, I thank the church for a lot of things. Like I learned how to sing because of the church. I learned how to perform because of the church. Mm. Like I was like, oh man, you're so good at, at comedy so quick. How'd you do it? I'm like, yo, I've been performing in church since I was like four years old. Mm. You know, so it's mm. like nothing to stand up in front of people. Um, mm. The only difference is now I'm doing it in the name of a laugh as opposed to in the name of God. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It's almost like R&B. Like R&B is just replacing Jesus with girl, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, I love you, God, Lord Jesus. And I was like, Oh, I love you, girl, my baby. Like, yeah. And so that's what R&B was. R&B and soul was really just like a gospel turned secular. Yeah. No, that, that's a that's a good way to put it because I do find that probably when you look back in history, like most of the songs were either religious based songs or love songs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And no, I, it's actual fact. If you look back, like all of R&B soul is origins are from gospel. Hmm. Yeah. With the uh, with the Seventh Adventist like church, when you're <coughs> going through like the because me personally, I think having a Sabbath day is good. Like it's good mm-hmm. to have one day off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, we're in Canada, so they made that the Catholics made that Sunday. Mm-hmm. They kind of remixed because they knew they're like, yo, Friday is popping, Saturday is popping. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, they built it around that. Do, are there like elements of, I guess, Judaic law that like you still carry, even as someone who's like, you might not be like super into it, but like it's like remnant in you? Like, do you like to take one day where you're just like not doing anything? I I don't keep the Sabbath day practices like I used to. Like, you'd think it would be almost ritualistic for me to just take my Saturdays off, but I've just always been an ADHD on the move kind of guy, so I could never really go to church and properly ingest it the way mm-hmm. it should be taken in. But, uh, Sorry, what was the question again? My brain fired. I was just going to say, like, are there remnants of it? Like, for example, like, do you not eat shrimp? Oh, yeah. Day? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To that question. Mm. Um, 
after I went to chef school, I decided, you know what? I'm going to eat everything. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Because I went all the way till about almost 20, 21 years old. I'm not eating pork, no shrimp, no lobster, no crustaceans. Just only, th- you know, seafood that had fish, uh, fish scales, scales and, yeah. and, and fins. You yeah. know, the Moses laws of yeah. the Old Testament. Winged animals that had spl- uh, talons and a beak. No, no gills, no, no bills mm-hmm. or um, webbed feet. You know, land animals that had split hooves and chewed the cud, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so that was cows and, 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 and lambs were fine and goats, but you couldn't eat pork because they didn't chew the cud, even mm-hmm. though they had split hooves, mm-hmm. even insects, certain insects you're allowed to eat. They yeah. say like, you know, so I used to keep them until I went to chef school and I just started eating everything until this day. I still, you know, I love bacon. Mm. I'll still eat Filipino pork, but there's certain things like I can't, I just started to enjoy lobster over the past four or five years. Um, I'm not a heavy seafood guy. Mm. I don't like squid. I don't, you know, mm. I don't, when I, when people go crazy over lobster bisque, I'm like, all right. Mm. You know? But I had lobster in Jamaica. Fresh out the sea, took water from the sea, boiled it down in that water from the, the sea, so it had water. the salt already yeah. salting up the freaking the uh, the lobster. They pulled it out, made a grill. They just brought a grill top with them. Made these rock, put these four rocks on the side, put it down, mm-hmm. built the fucking fire off just random wood they found on the on the side of the beach. Mm-hmm. It was this cat beach. They called it cat beach or something like that. It's where they sent all the wild cats that are just walking around. Mm-hmm. And we went there and there's all these cats everywhere. This guy picked fresh cilantro, fresh, fresh everything from the ground, made lobster. And all we had was toast and butter. And it was just grilled lobster, toast, and butter with all the land's herbs. I was like, okay, no, this is... This is how you eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And this in, in those moments I'm like it makes not quite makes me question religion, but it's like if there was a whole gener uh, like a whole population of people that have never been introduced to God, Jesus, the Bible, you know, and they live their life eating lobster because in, in that there. fashion, because it's there, yeah. it's great, it's tasty, why not? And then all of a sudden, these conquistadors come through and they're like, hey, with their priests, and they say, hey, that is deemed unclean in the mm-hmm. eyes of our God. Mm-hmm. Your God doesn't matter. Da, da, da. You're not supposed to eat that. And like, we've been eating this for generations, mm-hmm. but now it's deemed unclean or you're not going to heaven. And sometimes it, it used to make me question the church because I was like, how can that person be a bad person when they never even knew? Mm-hmm. Like, and eons of generations lived without knowing. So how are they going to be condemned in the day of judgment mm-hmm. when they never even had the opportunity to meet God yeah. through, through priests and, and all these people that would travel through colonization. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, what about those? I used to ask my priest, my pastor all the time. Yeah. What about those dudes in the Amazon that don't know who Jesus is or God is? And they die without ever meeting and understanding and, and knowing what the truth is. Mm-hmm. How will they be judged in the eyes of God? Will they still get to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. 
That's valid, yeah. Right? And if they do, that some pastors are like, well, if they didn't know, they'll be judged according to what they actually knew. So if they didn't know, they'll probably go to into heaven. I'm like, so then you're telling me it's better to not know then. <laughs> you know? I would rather not know nothing so I'm not like in... Heavily judged. Yeah. Heavily judged based off, because like they say the unpardonable sin is committing sin that you knew was already a sin, but you still went mm -hmm. on and did it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. When you're committing sin, knowing it's still already a sin, it's just like... Then that's when it came a point in my life where I'm like, I don't want to know anymore. Yeah. I don't want to know the truth. Otherwise, the more I know, the more I'm, 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 uh, what's the word? I'm, the more I'm going to be held accountable. Exactly. They're like, you knew Norm. Like, there was this parable that my mother would always tell me, like, you have to spread the word of the gospel, Norm, because, you know, if I told you, don't put your hand on this hot stove or you'll burn your hands. And then I ask you, hey, can you tell your little brother not to put his hand on the hot stove where he'll burn his hand? Mm -hmm. And then you don't tell your little brother. And his and he puts his hand on the hot stove. He's going to get burned, but who's going to get in trouble? You for not telling him. Mm -hmm. So both of you are now scarred mm -hmm. as a result, you know. And I'm just like, oh, that stuck with me for life. But then it led me in, on this path of like being driven by guilt. Yeah. yeah, no, I feel that, bro. And even for me, like when I was getting into Christianity, eventually it escalated to the point where I'm like, now I'm looking into like the Israelite stuff. You know what I'm saying? And like, I'm not black, you know? So I'm like, okay, like how can I navigate this? Like I, it's either I'm going to be like a slave in the kingdom, which is like, you know, am I an Edomite? I'm like asking myself things and I'm like, fuck, like mixed fabrics, like can I not mix fabrics now? Like, you know, I'm like, exactly. or am I going to be a slave? And then, you know, but then according to them, it's like, if you're non, if you're non Israelite, it doesn't matter what you do because like, you're going to end up being a slave during the kingdom. So it's like, you might as well just have your fun now. Yeah. But I'm like, yo, I still believe in God. And like, I do believe that like, there's this Israelite population that God chose, like, you know, cause the whole Bible is pretty much around the Israelites yeah, yeah, it's yeah. between God and the Israelites. And then, <clears throat> then new Testament comes and brings in the Gentiles, but then they'll be like, Oh, those were the Gentile. Those are Israelites that were living Gentile lives. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And I feel like there's a parallel between seventh day Adventism and the Israelite movement. For sure. For sure. Yeah. One thing I always used to ask was, Yo, where the fuck were the Asians in the Bible, man? There's so many of us. In Moab. Moab. That's what they would say. Moabs for the Asians? The Moabites. That's what they would say. Okay. You know, did they speak of the Mongols in the Bible? I don't know. I don't know. Genghis Khan in them? Yeah. I mean, I believe, you know, in Moses and the burning bush. Mm. <laughs> Yo, some people really think it's like a it's like a weed thing. Other people think there's like shrooms in the Bible. Like like a lot of it, it's like symbolic for the experience you get when you're on shrooms. Like like even the whole Jesus story is like a mm. parable for shrooms. There's a lot of different ways you could take it. Pause. Uh, <laughs> but uh, nah, we, we are getting super, super religious. So I'm going to switch a little, little gear to... Your stand-up comedy career, because I see you as an OG in the space. You said you've been doing it since 2012. Mm -hmm. So prior to that, so you're a chef, you're working in kitchens. And when did you start comedy? Like, what was that first episode of comedy for you? Was it just like an open mic? Was a friend doing it and you just like saw them one day? 
So shout outs to dudes like Tricks, Jay Martin, kind of the OGs in the the local black comedy scene here in Toronto. Um, they would always encourage me to to get up, mess around on the mic because I would host a lot of events. I, I used to work within the Manifesto Festival organization. Mm. They would always have me host events, and I was I was somewhat of a comedic host. I always tried to add some some humor to my to my shtick. Um, and I never thought of myself as a stand-up comedian, but I knew I had um, humorous tendencies. I had a variety show called The Big Norm Show. And it was my own little late night, tonight show type vibe where I just, I was the host. I would have random people. It was called, I had this event called the Riff Raff Street Rap Festival. And I just, random interesting people that I seen on the streets. I said, hey, you, I'm interviewing you. You seem weird and zany. Come here on this day. We're going to have a little tonight show type vibe. You're going to be my guest of honor. And I had like all these, you guys know Georgie Porgy? No. So he's this legendary like street hustler in downtown Toronto. They used to sell CDs. Mm-hmm. Anything he could sell, he would sell to you, but mainly CDs. And they would sometimes they'd be blank CDs, and he'd be like, "Yo, you like Drake? You like Drake? You like you like Noriega? You like you, you like Wu Tang? You know whatever you whatever that you say you like." He'd be like, "Yo, this like kind of like that shit right here, man. You you got to <laughs> And then like whatever it is, he'll like write Wu Tang like shit, and then sell you ten bucks for a CD. And this guy would would be so persistent. People wouldn't want it, but they would just be like, leave me alone. Here's $10, go away. And he would just make so much money off just being such a ruthless hustler. Like, real hustler. Like, hustlers are the guys that can finagle you, you know, finesse you. Real hustler. So, um, I would, I would interview him. Um, there were some comedians that are killing it, like right now, Nick Reynoldson, I had him on the show. He did his first comedy set. Just a whole bunch of random people. But mm-hmm. all that to say, I started doing just comedic events and then and, and parties. And then I did that um, with this musical web series. It's called a musical web series of this play adaptation called Prison Dancer. And it was like, it's this production. It's that production that I'm going to be on next month. Um, the same thing. Yeah. Wow, so this is 12, 13 years ago. So it's a story about the Filipino dancing jail inmates in in Manila. Um, so all these inmates basically, instead of doing jumping jacks and push ups in the courtyard while the guards are watching, they all decided to like team up and instead of doing all that, their workout was, we're going to do dance choreography. And they started doing like thriller and like, and imagine like 300 prisoners and orange all doing thriller in sync, still doing what they're supposed to be doing and staying fit and whatever. But it was like this new form of like rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. It's fun. You know, it's fun. But like, there's all this debate where like these prisoners shouldn't be enjoying their lives in jail. They've committed all these things. Look at them dancing, having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, (laughs) so they just created a storyline throughout that viral sensation and adapted it into a musical. And I played the jail meth dealer named hookups. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and there's this dude, Ron Jossel, one of the uh, amazing Filipino comedian. He came out with Russell Peters, um, and he just he's just getting his just due now. He just went viral over the over the past year, and he's getting booked everywhere now. So I'm very proud of him. But he was like, "Yo, man, if you want to try comedy, I'll get you on a show." I was like, uh, "I don't know. You want to? Maybe I'll try." He's like, Are you, "You want to try?" I was like, "I guess." Calls Yuck Yucks, and he's like, "All right, you're on tomorrow." I'm like, "The fuck? What?" Like that. And then I went up just on a whim. Just I had this funny little spiel whenever I'm whenever I would go out to like bars and hang out with people. And I was just like, my views on there's just some an observation I had about like every race having their own head movements mm-hmm. because we all speak a language, therefore we also speak our own body language. Yeah. And everybody just has their own head movement. Delivery. Yeah. Gabriel right? Iglesias kind of has a that's the funniest thing. Like he has that about like Indians necks, and Mexicans, yeah. Right? Neck move. Uh, they all do something with their neck. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was so sad because that was my first joke, mm-hmm. right? And I came out with that in 2012, and he came out with that on a special like in 2016. Yeah. So I'm just like, do I gotta retire this joke because it's, it has similarities? Yeah. Even though I came up with it first, but no one's you know? gonna like believe you when you, you know? say that. Because however, it's like, I have the video on YouTube. Okay, it's my first. Proof. It's my first shit. You know, first yeah. set ever. Look, boom. Um, That's so, sick. and it, it ends differently, and it goes a different route. But there's similarities in that we all have our own movements, whether it be neck or head movements. Mm. But he talks about uh, Indians, Latinos, blacks, whites. Mm. I go Indians, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Mexican, white, black, Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. So you just, so you went up there with this one spiel. You didn't have a bunch of jokes written down. It was kind of like this one go-to set almost. And then what? You just started flowing after that? Yeah. So the premise was we all do the same shit. We just do it slightly differently. Mm. So we all have... Uh, bobblehead we just do it differently so I started thinking okay what other things do we all do but do differently we all have sex we do that differently we all eat we eat things differently mm-hmm. I just made a whole list of different things until I formulated the best um, the best options and I, I only knew that because when I'd go up you know I get more reaction to uh, to mm-hmm. one one style of the joke than the other and I developed a really strong 15 minutes out the gate that like catapulted me right to to levels I shouldn't have been on at the time that early in my career. Mm. So I'm doing like these big theaters with the Trixes and, and the Jay Martins and the John Paul. Off your and, first oh, ever my first set. 15. Wow. And everyone always says it takes, your, t- it takes a year to get your first 10 minutes. And in my first year, I already had that strong 15 which pretty much took my whole life to build. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because that was like my first ever attempt to do comedy. Luckily, it was on some, I I always say it's like some Nas Illmatic shit where I hate to say it, it was some of my best material, maybe my best material, some would say. Mm. And since then, like the jokes have gone down and I have my, my stillmatic and then my godson and then, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
Nostradamus. Nostradamus. See, I had my Nostradamus days. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. Because after those first two, three years, I was killing it. Mm. And then I, now everyone's like, okay, hey, we heard all that. Now where's your next 15, 20? And I was like, uh, it's not as strong, but I got, you know. They're like, we want Illmatic again. You're yeah. like, I don't know if I can ever give you an Illmatic because it's a very, like you said, it took your whole life to build that one thing. I think right. Jay-Z even said it takes your whole life to have, like, make your first album. And right. then, yeah. Exactly. You just gotta do it after. Yeah. So eventually it got to a point where, like, I was going through imposter syndrome. Like, am I a good comic or was I, did I just have that first good run, that hit single? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Was this, was this my Mo Bamba? You know what I mean? Am I a one hit wonder? Like, am I a one hit wonder? But nah, man, I know I got like the singing in my bag. I didn't even realize I was an impressionist until people were like, no, you do the illest impressions. So I'm like, I guess I got that in my bag. And, you know, just, just a very, um, what's the word? Uh, versatile, maybe? Uh, not just versatile, but, uh, oh my God, I'm smoking too much weed right now. Um, just overactive, do a lot of facial expressions. That oh, expressive, like, maybe? Expressive, that's yeah, the yeah. word. Um, yeah, that's just, uh, over the, t over, over time I developed my style and, and now I'm at a, at a comfortable point where I finally feel like I'm an actual comedian. Cause I went through all the motions. I had to go back cause I skipped steps, mm -hmm. got up here, rode that for as long as I could, then realized, okay, I got to go back and learn these things and go through that before I could really take the next step. Mm -hmm. And I've taken the next step and I'm here. You know? Okay. So. I'm not going to lie. I'm always flirting with the idea of doing stand-up. And I love stand-up. I love making people laugh. I like host weddings and like MC weddings too. But I'm always like, where do I start with the jokes? Because I don't want to just like write and then punchline. I also don't want to go up there with no material. So like, what's your advice or like blueprint for someone who just wants to start comedy? I mean, people always say like, Comedians that are trying to drop knowledge always say, you got to find your voice. Mm -hmm. That's like a common thing. Once you find your voice, then you can go from there. But it takes a while to find that voice because you're like, at first you start doing it based off what you think is funny. And then if that doesn't work, you do it based off what you, th you think. What you do, the first thing you do is based off what you think is funny. The second thing you do is you base your jokes based off what you think people think is funny. And then the next step after that is you not caring what people think. And this is what you have to offer. It's like, this is my style. It's like a chef. Like, yeah, you could eat this. You could eat that. This is not your palate, but I'm going to create a, a, a culinary experience and explain to you why this is. And, and hopefully you'll enjoy it as a result of understanding why there was, this was intended to be that way, even mm. though you like it this way or that way. But like, no, let me teach you why sushi should be eaten this way. So you could properly understand it. I used to hate sushi until mm. someone told me like the nuances of the, of the fresh fish and, da -da -da, and, and it, I was like, oh, this is kind of genius. I get it now. So it allowed me to experience it and understand it the way it was supposed to be understood. So I enjoyed it the way it could be enjoyed. Mm. Um, Okay, so step one is finding your voice. And probably yeah. the only way you can really do that is getting on stage, like trial and error, right? Because I could just be practicing in my mirror and I think I'm hilarious. Yeah. But then once you're in front of an audience, you're going to see what's working and what's not. So do you suggest 
just doing open mics at the beginning and kind of like just figuring out your voice? Yeah, open mics are necessary. I never used to do them because I was afraid. I was insecure. And I just didn't want to do that work. I just wanted to kind of like go around it, see if I can go around it. So what I did was I started just producing my own shows. Luckily for me, I had a large enough network that like I was able to put on like a year's worth of shows and put all these other comedians on my shows to kind of like help. It was awesome. Like I'll scratch, you scratch, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, you do my show, put me on your show. And that's how I kind of got in. Um, Cause I didn't want to do the open mic scene. So mm-hmm. it's just really putting on my own shows to get my own stage time and then get booked on other people's shows. So I was from early, I was getting booked, but for the people that don't have the network that I was fortunate to have, yeah, you got to go to places that'll just give you stage time. Otherwise create your own stages. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah. For me and for a lot of comics here in Toronto, that's like the route they take because some comics aren't that good. So or a lot of producers will pick the comics that they like and they think they're good. So like if they don't think you're good enough, then tough luck. Either get better or make your own show. <laughs> you know? mm. Okay. So stage time. And then based on that, you're either going to go the route of hosting your own shows or doing the more, I guess, like mainstream like comedy clubs, like a Yuck Yucks or something. Well, you can't even get onto those things. Like you can go on the amateur nights on Yuck Yuck. Every every big club has an amateur night. Yuck Yucks, Absolute. I think Joker's uh, Joker's in Richmond Hill has one. Uh, The Corner has their open mics Mm -hmm. on the last Tuesdays of every month. There's a, and there's like a room every night. There's at least two rooms a night in Toronto that you could find open mics. So like, there's no excuse. You can get stage time. You just got to go to those bucket rooms, put your name in the bucket and hope you get picked. And, you know. And then like, you got to show up when, when they call your name, you got to deliver. You got to deliver in the three to five minutes that they give you, you know? And it's not even that much. See, like for me, I got lucky because I was putting on my own shows and then getting booked on other people's shows, I'm getting like 10 minute sets, 15 minute sets. I got to practice, right? And then when I started getting booked by, you know, the black comedy promoters, their format was different. They were more longer form. So I'm getting, I'm doing, they're like, all right, do 20, 25. I'm like, what? I get 25 minutes in my first, first mm-hmm. year, two years of comedy. So I got to practice a lot. I had a lot of stage time. So I didn't, once again, I didn't have to do all the grinding of the open mic scene because I already got stage time through the black comedy circuit. I've been very fortunate because the Toronto black comedy circuit really showed love to me from, from jump. I mean, that's where my humor came from. Mm. And I would watch BET comic view all the time. And then just like crack jokes with all my homies in the hood, you know? Mm. And there was always some West Indian, you know, flair in the background Right. So all my humor comes from that. So when I'm whenever I'm in front of those rooms, the Nubian Nights, the the Juice Cups, the West Indies versus Africa, Trinidad versus Jamaica, all those shows. Everyone's like, yo, Norm, how do you get all those shows? You're Filipino, you know? Hey, man, mm. those are the people I've been making laugh my whole life. I so. feel like that would be either like I feel like that would be the toughest crowd to please, but probably the most gratifying 
experience once you like are able to please them, right? Like you hit it on the buttons. Here's the thing. I did I did three shows. Um three black shows in the same day. And me and my friend were like, yo, on one of them, it was it was a it was a terrible vibe, but we're just like, why do we do these all the time? You know? But I was like, because we're the only ones that can. Mm. Like there's only a certain select few comedians in the city that can really handle that crowd. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's sometimes they can be mad stush. So you just gotta be able to like you just have to know their humor, know their palate. And like there's only a certain few that can do. A West Indian crowd, if I'm to be quite honest. Yeah. You know, not it, everyone can handle the, like a stush Jamaican crowd in Pickering, you know what I mean? Or an Ajax. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this one show, there's a bunch of older, like I did a show the other day with a bunch of older Seventh-day Adventists and, you know, peppered around in the crowd. And my buddy's like, yeah, so try and keep it PG. And I was just like, oh, I came here with all these fucking, you know, crazy jokes, but anyhow. Okay. Uh, I'm rambling. Next. No, that's fair. <laughs> no, that's fair. So, all right, man. I'm, I'm honestly take that advice. I'm going to try to do some open mics. Like, it's been on my mind, and I'm like, you know what? Fuck do it, it. Like, man. Just I'm going to do it. Do it. I'm going to just do it and see where it goes. And I think, <laughs> um, like you said, it takes your whole life to do your first set. And I feel like maybe it's because I'm still gathering experiences. Working as a wedding DJ, I feel like I have a lot of, like, material around like different races and their song requests and, yeah. and the, you know, like how they act and um, yeah, man. And then I think the social media element of stand-up comedy is super important now with, I guess just showcasing and kind of building your brand. Cause at the end of the day, like even if you're not too funny, mm. if you can bring a crowd, that's going to matter more to these promoters. Right. I don't even want to say it's almost mandatory. I think it actually is mandatory now. Because mm. even with Just for Laughs um, this year, a lot of it was people that had followings already getting booked. Um, back in the day, it used to be like, oh, you come on to this prestigious festival so you can get pull, you can get clout, and you can get like seeing by all the big time bookers and be respected by the industry. But now it's like, you come on and like bring your following with it. You know, they're almost using comics that have built their own following when it should have been their festival as the launch pad and the jump off. So it was like a weird, Mm -hmm. weird thing where now it's not just about your skills and abilities. Like, but can you also bring your following to the festival? Yeah. Same with music, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to get signed unless you already have a following. Whereas before they're going to build you up based on your skill and they'll build your following for you, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's necessary. Like I'm trying to jump on the content creation wave. I know I'm 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 slipping on that. Everybody keeps on telling me, like, Norm, you do quality content. But sometimes I'm too like old school perfectionist that's like trying to make it perfect, but it's like you People don't care about perfect on, on the internet. They, they care just, about volume, bro. Like yeah. it's like cause yo, you'll post something. And then it's like, all right, what's next? Yeah. You know, like it, it dies quick, you know? So yeah, we can definitely, man, I, I do like video production and so does Waz and like audio stuff. So if you ever need like camera, I got stuff, ideas for days. It's just the matter of executing. Somebody sure. was shitting on me the other day. Like they're like, Norm, you could be the fucking Filipino Jamie Fox out of here, bro. You're too fucking Scarborough lazy sometimes, bro. I was like, yo, shut up, man. Don't blame Scarborough. 
man. Jamie Foxx <laughs> is so underrated just as an overall star, like as a dramatic actor, comedian, and artist. Like, and, and even, musician, bro. Yeah. Like, the man can really, really play the piano. The man is mm. a real, uh, like, he. I think he, he went to school and got his master's in, in music. Wow. What's your favorite Jamie Foxx movie? Man. <sighs> Booty call. <laughs> um, I would say Ray is up there. Ray is crazy. Um, Cause you know, I like comedy Ray or comedy Jamie, mm. but like dr- dramatic Jamie is next level. So I would say if it's dramatic Jamie, it would be um, maybe Ray. And it's ha- he was half comedy, half dramatic in any given Sunday. Mm. But yeah, I would have to just say Ray and motherfucking booty call. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. No, fair. Jamie Foxx is he's probably the mo- has the widest range of talent, I think, ever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even um even though he was like a secondary character in Horrible Bosses, yeah, like uh, was a motherfucker Jones, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> like he was really good in that. Uh, like I feel like I'll sound racist if I say Django, but like I think he killed it he in killed Django. Django. You know what, you what I'm saying? Course, like Django it was amazing, amazing, and like, but is it bad that I'm saying it's amazing because it is like a movie? No, on that shit, bro. Shit. On that right, shit, right. Django was amazing, bro. Django, Django was, was a good sick. movie, bro. It's not like you're saying, yo, Leonardo DiCaprio killed it. You know, <laughs> no, you're saying Jamie Foxx did. Okay, but if the you're thing like, is, Leo, no, I loved Leo. Well, I actually did love Leo. Leo killed that it movie. too. Like, it's kind of fucked, you know. Like, but what I Jonah Hill was in that movie, like. They had a they had a, actually a crazy lineup in that movie. You hear how he was how Leonardo was so uncomfortable with saying the N word. Yeah, and Jamie and Samuel were like, "Motherfucker, like say it, say it." Or it's like you're playing a fucking slave owner, man. Yeah, fuck all that shit. And like, I guess the next day he came. He came on the set cold, like looking at them like he went shit. Like he really had yeah, to do that was method fun. acting. Yeah, he like, didn't even talk to nah. them. Yeah. And then like <clears throat> he owned that fucking N-word, bro. He like he felt like he owned those like 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 the slaves he owned too. You know what I mean? He yeah. owned that N-word and he killed that fucking scene. Or that 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 role. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, nah, we don't fuck with it, but nah, man. Queen uh was it Tarantino? That's like that's the director of that. So yeah. he was saying he's like, "There's no way like we use the N word more than it was actually used in that historical time. Like right. even right. the way he portrayed it was probably not as gruesome as the real realities mm-hmm. of that of course, era. Of course, mm-hmm. there's no way you could truly depict what it actually was. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people would be horrified. You had this thing that you said on Seeking Success. Shout out them, where mm-hmm. you were saying that. Uh, uh, like pretty much oppressors like lack rhythm you know what I'm saying like if you're from an oppressed group you're gonna have <laughs> rhythm but if you're from the oppressor side like you can't you don't got rhythm it's such a stupid theory um, you know I get high no nah, but I don't, think it's, I don't think it's wrong because I've, <laughs> you know, I've witnessed it I bring it up because like it could be a valid point but obviously there's no factual you know evidence to it but it's just like oh funny thought right 
And one, those are another one of those clips that went viral that people were like, fuck you. Like, white people were up in arms. Like, you say white people can't dance? Do you not know who Justin Timberlake is? I was is? just thinking about like, <laughs> Justin Timberlake. I'm like, he might, but that's the thing. He was an anomaly. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was an anomaly. Some like, people are like, Vanilla Ice used to get down in the heyday. And I'm like, listen, man, this is obviously generalized. You yeah. know, I even had a disclaimer. And people are like, fuck your disclaimer. We don't believe you. Too late. You're just trying to do, deal with damage control. Yo, man, it's a joke, really and truly. The theory is, if if you've done some fucked up shit in the past, you're probably not gonna. It's your karma is gonna be you can't dance or you can't sing or you know, you're gonna lose one natural gifted talent mm-hmm. that people are normally offered, you know, yeah. as a human, right? And if you were oppressed, as a result of being oppressed, you'll be gifted the talents as a result. Of being oppressed. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And as a result of Filipinos being colonized four different times, everyone's like, yo, how come Filipinos can sing and dance so well? I'm like, hey, man, four colonizers, man. Mm-hmm. Life owes us, right? We're, we're already short, all right? Come on. Let, it, <laughs> let, let, us, let, let us have our big voices, okay? Like, yes. You ever, you ever see Filipinos just casually singing karaoke on a Monday? Just rocking the fucking mic? Sing like a dude with a missing tooth, just casually singing Whitney Houston covers. You know, mm-hmm. a male hitting the high notes. It's crazy, but uh, all that to say, yeah, Filipinos, man. Like, say if you're Filipino, like if you're a dude and you're sick at karaoke, like does that is that like almost riz in a sense? Like girls would be like, oh, he's so good. Like, bro, I remember I went to the Philippines. And I was hanging out with these like corrupt politicians because <laughs> they, they most politicians in the Philippines are corrupt already. And these guys had like bulletproof cars and shit, and they're just like all trying to flex on me. They're like, "Oh, this is a comedian. Ah, he's the next Joe Coy. Ah, yo, hey, come have a drink. Come on, sing, sing karaoke with us." And there's all these girls walking around like, "Hey, come on, sit on his lap." Just pulling girls to sit on my lap. I'm like, "Yeah, it's, it's all good, man. You don't need to do all this." No, like, oh, come on. And the girl sitting on my lap is like, "Can you sing?" And I was like, you don't know me. <laughs> like, don't even stop this. Like, I don't even have to prove nothing, but you don't know me. I'm R&B Norm. I'm just Shaolin here. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me to sing. Anyways, the fucking, those politician guys are like, oh, come on, Joe Koi, sing a song. They kept on calling me Joe Koi. It was so annoying. Oh, the comedian, Joe Koi? Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, I'm like, all right, choose a song and I'll sing any song. And the girl's like, Brian McKnight. One last cry. I'm like, boom, kill it. The ladies all in the room just stopped what they were doing and just fucking, you know, just just super attentive. And I was like, man, karaoke is a real culture out here in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You could riz the fuck out of people if you could sing on the microphone. You, you grab, Magic Mike is not a stripper out there. It's a fucking microphone that people sing karaoke, karaoke into. And once you got that skills, once you hit that 99% and up on the rating, psh, yo, what's your Instagram handle? <laughs> like, I chill, chill, chill. You asked for it. <laughs> So it, gave, it it does give you sauce over there. Oh, hell yeah, bro. If you can sing or dance, Filipinos eat that shit up. You know what's another thing Filipinos are, are really good at is pool, like billiards. 
Yes. Like some of the best pool players are Filipino. Yeah. Is yeah. that also like a big culture there too? It's a cultural pastime out there. It's like a mm-hmm. national pastime. Everybody does it. They mm-hmm. even have like an air hockey version of it where if they don't have the, the, the balls, cause sometimes it's too expensive. They'll just use like little pucks hmm. and they'll use like the, the white, they'll have all the different colors with the numbers and they'll just use the pucks. So like, I guess it's from practicing with two different, you know, uh, objects, whether it be the, the disc or puck or the eight ball or the white balls. Yeah, man. I guess that's what helped develop their st- their, their skills. Because, yeah, we, we have world-renowned billiard players. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, I, I forget their names, but I think the Michael Jordan of billiards is from the Philippines. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. That's big. It's, it's very random. Like, like, we love billiards and basketball. Like, the shortest people in the world love basketball. It's, it's <laughs> hilarious. And we're good at it. Mm-hmm. We just can't dunk. I'm still waiting for that first full Filipino player in the NBA. Because I had boys that were like, they were doing Phil Act and like, you know, like, yeah, and they were sick. Phil Act, Phil Act. Bro, they were sick, Yo, bro. Phil like, this guy's definitely going league. Even like some yeah. of them were tall. Like they were yeah, like yeah. even more than six feet. And I think the only Filipino NBA players, like they're half black. You know what I'm saying? Usually. Yeah. And it, the Jordan Clarksons, the, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, Jalen Green. Mm-hmm. Like I used to live my basketball dreams through Eric Spolstra. You know, I was the only Filipino in the league at the time. I could be a coach. I could be a coach, maybe, you know what I'm saying? Through the work work through the video room. But you know who I just found out was Filipino? There's a Filipino that won the NBA dunk off. Who? Can you guys take can you guys guess? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Was okay, okay. If on, there's any Filipi- if there was a Filipino in the dunk off that was Nate, part Filipino. Nate Robinson is not Filipino. He's one eighth Filipino. Nate Robinson? He, he's a fucking half quarter Filipino dunk. Bro, that guy is five <laughs> eight, bro. And he was dunking on man's like Nate the Filipino side was the five eight side, bro. You see his eyes? Those are Filipino eyes for sure, dog. I like, mean, he do look like a dark-skinned Filipino now that you say it. Yo, he's That's got the thick Filipino calves. Nate Robinson's an eighth Filipino. He's a half quarter of a Filipino fam. You can claim that stuff. Uh, definitely claim I will that. claim that till the day I die. Look him up. Yo, Google me. Fact check me. Go ahead. Eighth. Half quarter. He was amazing though. Like he was the dunk contest guy. Yo, he's nice. Like you see him in like those Drew leagues or whatever, like those summer leagues, just still he's killing sauce shit. And, yeah, bro. Wasn't he doing the big three for a while? Oh, was he doing that? I feel like he was, but yeah, yeah that that guy's the man. The only the only time I was disappointed in him was when he got knocked out by one of the Logan brothers. Was it Jake Paul he got knocked out? Or? Yeah, yeah. But he should never have taken that fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bag must have been undeniable on yeah. that one. Do you uh, believe that Jake's for real, or do you think it's uh, as all? I think he's a legit. Like he can fight. Um, do yeah. I think there's some kind of like you think any rigged, of those fights were fixed, rigged? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ben Askren one definitely seemed like it could be because it was one knockdown, and then that was it. Like the ref didn't let him continue. I definitely think he knocked out Tyrone Woodley. Yeah, that was a real that knockdown. didn't look fake, you know. Yeah. Um, and he lost his last fight, so obviously he wouldn't like rig that. Yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. think he had to rig Nate Robinson. Like yeah, it looked yeah, like yeah. he could just beat up Nate Robinson. Yeah. So Ben Askren won. I don't know. 
that one's the only one that's like skeptical, but I think he's legit. And yeah. I think, uh, I, I think he's a good fighter for like a YouTuber. Right. Right. And just in general, like he, if you commit yourself to that much, like boxing and stuff. I hated watching Nate Diaz. That, oh, that fight. Yeah. That one pissed me off. Why? It's cause you want to see him win. Yeah. yeah, Nate Diaz is a dog, bro. Yeah. I can't lie. Like, I don't like that fighting style, but I like that mentality. Yeah, yeah. But like, I don't like watching that type of fight style because it's like, I don't know. He's a really volume puncher, but his punches aren't that hard, but yeah. it's just constant. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm more like combination of striking and wrestling. Right, like, right. You know, Islam Makachev type. I, I, I'm really into like the wrestling aspect of it. I'm one of those guys that like, before I go to bed, I'll just sit and watch MMA highlights. Mm-hmm. It's either that or like random like time-lapsed videos of jungle men building structures. You ever watch oh, those? Oh, yeah, those are, so, Yo, those like, are crazy. Like ASMR. Like. Yo, it's like ASMR. I'll just sit there and just watch two jungle men just with, that, with that bolo or, or that one freaking... I don't know what it is. It's like a knife slash hatchet. Like, like they yeah, do yeah. everything with it. They dig with it. They fucking, and they make it so perfect, bro. And they build these mega structures out of sand in their bare hands. It Yo, is, I do have a question. Yeah. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. The Roman Empire, not too often. But the few times that I that I feel like it was brought up recently, it was talking about all the things that um, are hidden in Rome and the Vatican. Mm. And uh, yeah, but I don't really go too deep, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Like, yeah. But why? What, 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 what were we trying to get to? Well, now it's like kind of like a meme thing, but I always... But like, we're in the age of the Roman Empire, like in the same time where they were at like when they started to crumble, I've been Probably. hearing stuff like that Definitely. Too. But there's so many like, uh, there's like a legacy of the Roman empire that like is in our everyday lives. And mm. I used to think about, I think about the Roman empire when I DJ for Italians and I see how like they eat a lot and drink a lot and they're dancing and they're drunk. And I'm just like, yo, I feel like I'm watching like a Roman orgy. And then, uh, <laughs> and then sometimes I'll, uh, even yo, like going deep, bro. Yo, bro, I really think because like, I'm DJing and I'm seeing them like doing their like Italian dance and like running around and everyone's drunk, having a good time. And I'm like, this is definitely like, what the Roman Empire was like, you know? Like, just like, this oh, is what the kings were doing. Like, you know, look, look at these Babylonians, <laughs> look at all these sinners, all these secular folks drinking. And just like, you know? rica, rica, rica. everybody put your hand in the air, yeah. you sinners. <laughs> And then, uh, Yo, that's and even, crazy. even when you watch like any sport event, like the shape of a stadium is like a coliseum. Mm-hmm. Like there's like that gladiatorial aspect, and that's pretty Roman. Like even well, UFC, like well, yes, yeah. UFC, any sporting event, those are all remnants of Roman Empire practices. Entertainment, you know? and entertainment what, for the sake of distraction, so the people it, don't uprise. Right? Exactly. If you, if you don't want people to fucking clue in and 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 team up together and uprise against the 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 oppressing powers, distract them. Yeah. And that's why sometimes I hate jumping into the whole content creation world because a part of me feels like, oh, I'm just creating more distraction. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you want to, like, what is comedy? 
Yeah, comedy is like the last line of defense of freedom of speech. Yeah, it's 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 an excuse to make people laugh and feel good. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, a reason to speak on issues that can be spoken of because they're so delicate. But like, as long as you're speaking on it in the sake the sake in the name of humor, mm-hmm. then it's just like kind of justifies it slightly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, it's entertainment at the it's end of entertainment the day, right? at the end of the day, and like, it's pulling as much as it is, it is educational and helps bring light to certain issues that we all face and real, real harsh issues that some people can't laugh at. Mm. Um, It's still majority just whatever, you know, and in the grand scheme of things, it's entertainment and it's pulling you away from certain things that we got to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes do feel like I'm guilty of being a distraction. Mm. So I do feel the need to always have a message in my comedy as a result. That's important. But I will say stupid shit. But I always try to leave at least one gem. Because mm. what am I What am I doing it for, right? Mm. If I'm doing it just to make you laugh, cool. But sometimes I feel you need to have substance. But it's not always necessary. I don't always got to be team like preachy yeah but at least leave them with something Chappelle was really good at that where it was like the best at that yeah you know there would always be something that you can take away from a Chappelle show that will maybe even impact your behavior in the future you know and that's the type of comedy I like like certain comedians I feel like they're very likable or charming and they're funny but like it's the substance of their jokes is not something that's gonna resonate with you whereas like George Carlin like we were talking about earlier like he'll say stuff that'll like maybe really affect how you see the world exactly right and And then you're not just a comedian you're almost like a a prophetic figure almost yeah they're all necessary truths that like people don't know how to ingest until you present it in that manner right exactly and like my top five you know off the top, you got George Carlin, Dave Chappelle, Patrice O'Neill. These are all outspoken guys that like, even Patrice O'Neill may say things that sound so wrong, but he's still getting his point across mm-hmm. in a way where you're like, I get where you're coming from, but I don't agree with it. Or like, that's kind of fucked up, but like, I still see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And then my last two are Jamie Foxx and Tracy Morgan. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like people are like, what? Jamie Foxx, Tracy Morgan. Jamie, because he's just, you know, he can sing. Mm-hmm. And Tracy Morgan, because he's one of those guys that didn't really say... He wasn't leaving you with like gems that would make you think like, you know, how to change your life or the world or whatnot. He just says some stupid ass shit mm-hmm. in the way that he says it. Mm-hmm. And that for me is like what balances me out as a comic because I want to say stupid shit and say it in a stupid way. But I also want to provide some light, but also present it in such a smooth sometimes musical manner like that, a Jamie Foxx. That's a great way to segue to my next question because uh, Hassan Minaj, who's like a pretty famous comedian. Yeah. He was recently outed for like fabricating some of his jokes. But now that you're saying you like to bring light to certain things, he would bring light to issues, but he would fabricate stories and lie about his own experiences in order to maybe highlight racial injustices mm-hmm. or like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of victimize himself. But how important is truth in comedy? I feel like he could have easily fixed that just by saying, I have a friend. Mm. And then explain the exact same shit. And just make up the same story, but just but say about a friend. friend. Yeah. Hmm. But because he said it was him, it was just like, oh man, like 
And you're like the boy who cried wolf now, you know, for the sake of a joke. Now, and 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 it's also because who he is and the message he portrays and like, and the the person that people see him as. I think that's what also affected him more. Yeah, he has that clean cut image where it's like he's very mainstream, but also very likable to like a, a wide range of people. Yeah, he's a very intelligent dude that tries to speak certain truths in such a comedic fashion that like people look to him for certain information like a John Stewart or a or a Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. right i mean that's where he kind of came from right he came from was it Stephen Colbert or was it John it was John Stewart, John Stewart yeah, right yeah i think so so like for him to to have these fabricated jokes did kind of like tarnish his his image but He'll be, he'll be fine because he's just a good comedian in general. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, unless he start, he's just got to start making jokes about it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's got to own up to it and just start making fun of it. You wouldn't put Bill Burr in, in your like, is he in your top 10 maybe? Like, what do you think of like he's that top style? top 20. Top 20. Louis C.K.? Louis C.K., all those guys. Like, all the guys that, he. I look at those guys like, like the Larry Birds and the... <laughs> And the Jason kids of the NBA greats. Like, yeah. I respect them. They're up there. But I don't personally download them to listen to. Yeah. I never, mm. you know, I, I fell asleep at a Louis, Louis C.K. show. You did? Yeah, but that's just me. I fall asleep at everything. Like, if it, once it gets dark and I'm sitting down for past an hour, I'm like, by, by that 60-minute mark, I'm already just, nothing can keep me up. Mm. Church, anything. School, whatever. But... Uh, Louis C.K., Bill Burr, who else is like those Seinfeld? Uh, I'm not into that. Type, I'm not into the Seinfeld humor, but I like. I think his show was good, but like, I don't think I could like sit through a set. Yeah. Of like Seinfeld, personally. Yeah. I like the Andrew Schultz's the Ooh, Andrew Schultz's legend. The, the Santinos. Uh, who else is there? Uh, the Theo, I like Theo Vaughn. Theo Vaughn's hilarious. Uh, Anthony Jesselnick. Uh, Zach Gillifinakis. Again. This, Craig, new, this new draft class of white comedians is, is better than like the old ones. I those feel. guys are sick, man. But I also love the guys that do music with like Greg, Craig Robinson. When he does the music shit, mm. he's fucking sick. Um, Ari Spears, is he in your top 10? No. I don't, I don't, you don't like Aries Spears? I used to really like Aries Spears in the Mad TV days, but later on in life, I found him kind of like, meh. Like his know? approach? Because he's a, such a good imp- impressionist and like he's, he's like good, you yeah. know? I just feel like he's still stuck in the 90s, early 2000s. Like, I don't know, man. Like stylistically, like stylistically. His, top, his topics and stuff? Yeah, just like rappers that, are, that still rap on... On fucking two thousands, Dr. Dre beats, you know, cool, right? Yeah. But it's just like update yourself, download the new iOS up- upgrade, you know. Mm. <laughs> like it's it's twenty twenty three. Like I came up doing like BET Def Jam comedy style jokes, like black people do this, white people do that, Asian people do this, da da da. And it worked for a while, but I was like, yeah, man, the world's changing. I can't constantly be doing shit like that. And that's already been a shtick. Even though it worked for a while, it was just like, I don't want to be the guy that's just 
doing that style of comedy when it's changing. How is the style now? I feel like now people want it to be a little more like subtle and cool. Whereas before, maybe you, you would have to be a little more performative or like, you know, like almost like a, like a Kevin Hart, like old Kevin Hart, where it's like very animated. Whereas now I feel like the expectation is a little more subtle and like in how like the little nuances of it. I feel like now it's come down to personal perspective. People like to see people's personal perspectives and the comics viewpoints, because when it comes to originality, that's the only way you could truly find it. It's through how the comic sees things. Mm. So when you can present things to somebody in a way that they'll understand, like the best thing for a comic is like, well, for me at least is making people realize something they didn't realize they already knew. Yeah. That's real education. That's literally what I think Aristotle says, like we're born with knowledge, but then we discover it as we like get educated. That's the process of education is literally discovering the things that were already in you, but you didn't know. Cause like when you start piecing things together, like, Oh yeah, that makes sense because your, your common sense and your knowledge could understand why that would be. So it's almost like, you would have already known. It's like, it's I've always there, kind of thought just that, but I never really like knew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so when you could like present it to them and with a certain amount of words and break it down and have people go, ah, yeah, you're right. I knew that. Trust me. You're, and they, they already agree with something that they didn't knew. They know they agreed with because it wasn't presented to them. Like I always say the stupid joke. One of my first jokes was, um, we all eat rice. So we just cook it differently. Filipinos, fried garlic rice, Japanese, sushi, Jamaicans, rice and peas, white people, minute rice, rice crispy squares, right? And it's just like a straight up fact, right? Rice crispy squares is crazy. That's that's something white people created, right? Yeah, and I didn't it's realize a, that was actually rice. But it's a top tier fucking snack. I'm not even rice crispy is really good. Yeah. But you see how like <laughs> I could say that and people will laugh, yeah. even though it's like a honest fact. But it's, it wasn't said in a like, oh, or just the way that it's structured. It's just like a funny fact when compared to all the exotic rice dishes that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I get it. Rice and peas, sushi, garlic rice, rice, crispy squares, minute rice, whatever. Um, the point I was trying to get to was, uh, what was it? New guess? style of comedy, teaching yeah. people pretty much. So like when I do that joke, um, oh yeah, when I do that joke, people all know those things. Japanese people cook this, da, da, da. Filipinos cook this, Jamaicans cook this, white people cook this. It was just presented to them in that orderly fashion for them to be like, aha, yeah, funny. Mm-hmm. But we knew this, but it just wasn't presented in that manner. Yeah, they probably so. never like directly thought it. But once you said it, they're like, yeah, everyone does eat rice, Yeah, you know? But they never probably thought like, you know what? I think everyone eats rice. But yeah. you kind of showed that to them. That's interesting. I feel like now a comedian's almost like, like a teacher, mentor, almost like a pastor, and then also an entertainer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I add a lot of preaching elements into my comedy 100%. Hmm. I always, like I said, I always try to find the moral of the story. 
But like that used to be my my style in the beginning, and later on in life, I tried to like step out of that because it would be long winded sets. So I was trying to formulate shorter jokes. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. But when I get longer sets, I always try to formulate it in a. This is the opening kind of like statement. Here's my hamburger paragraphs, mm. and then my closing point that reiterates everything that I was just bringing up. Ties it together. Yeah. Fair. So. How did you guys start the Extra Gravy podcast? Yo, I've, <clears throat> Marlon had me on a, as a guest. It was already developed. They had the show with uh, Jason. I forget his last name. Um, but Marlon and Jason had the show already. And then when he wanted to bounce, Marlon asked me. He's like, yo, I, I think I was on, his, on the show maybe like three times already. I was a reoccurring guest. And he was just like, yo. Hop on the podcast if you're down. I was like, ah, why not? Mm-hmm. It could be a spot for me or an opportunity for me to workshop jokes, mm-hmm. you know, in conversation. And and then he was obviously trying to like venture into stand up comedy too, so it was kind of like a, a nice exchange. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, you know, working with Marlon, he had a lot of pull in the city, so I was like, maybe this will be a good crossover and you know, following. So. Mm. And it's been one of the most consistent things I've ever done. Like six years, every Tuesday, you know, straight, 62, uh, six years. Mm. Um, a couple of months off because I was doing a gig here, or out, of, out of country gig there. But yeah, man, that's how that's how we came about. Mm. We added Alicia over the, over the pandemic and we've just been doing it since, man. All right. Yo, before we wrap up, um, let the audience know you know, what, what you got going on and more, more importantly about this musical that you're going to be a part of, you said next month. Yeah. There's this musical I'm in called prison dancer at the NAC. That's the national arts center. Prestigious arts center. Uh, so I've been told, um, but yeah, it's called prison dancer. I'll be doing that between November 23rd and December 2nd. The extra gravy comedy tour. It's just been announced eight cities um yeah toronto montreal ottawa vancouver edmonton hamilton london yeah there's gonna be a lot of cities that's sick bro we're gonna we're definitely gonna try to come out please do one of the please do man Maybe we'll make the trip. Oh, we're know? doing one in Scarborough. We're doing one in oh, Scarborough. We gotta baby. be there. We gotta be there. December, I think that one's December fifteenth. We'll cool. be in Scarborough. December fifteenth. That's right. Um, so yo, Scarborough, show out, man. Show out for your yes, boy, dog. Yo, Scarborough East Side thing. Like, there's the Toronto show, and then there's the Scarborough yeah. show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So make sure Scarborough pull up, man. For sure, man. Yo, big Norm Alcansell. Brother, Respect for coming you. through. No, thank you for having me, man. Make sure you guys check him out. Make sure you comment, like, subscribe to all that good stuff. Until next time, Boop. peace. Subscribe to Purple Sound.